0: Lord, you have put that song in our heart, and as we preach over that today, oh God, would you, Lord, send us with that as we live in the world to be reminded that you have paid the price for our sin, and we are in a position of clean before you. God, thank you once again for your servants that lead us in worship. Thank you, Lord, for the songwriters and the songs, and God, may we express our worship and gratitude to you each and every day not just a couple days a week Lord we are grateful for your word grateful oh God that you have revealed yourself to us Father we thank you for our Bibles and God I pray that this church would be a Bible-believing Bible-keeping Bible-living church Lord we are grateful for the truth that is before us and I pray oh Lord that you would help us to line up with it today in Jesus name amen if you would turn to your and your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1, we are there once again this week to continue our series called Test Drive, where we are encouraging each and every one of us as we are coming back to the uh, gathering that is the church to give faithfulness an extra mile. Do you remember your first car? Everybody remember your first car? Some of you have not yet gotten there if you are a preteen, but uh, my first car was a 1992 Jeep Cherokee Country. Now, I think we have a picture of this that's on the screen. There it is. Why are y'all laughing? Why are you laughing? This, is, uh, this, this was my first vehicle, and I thought about it as I looked at this this week. Um, I'm just like any other teenager when your parents are like, smile, and you do the exact opposite of what you're asked to do. So I didn't, I didn't smile. I don't know why I'm not smiling. I was excited. Uh, it, it was Jeep Cherokee country, red, used, uh, wonderfully Weird. This, this Jeep was, was awesome because on the right-hand side, the, the, the front speaker in the driver's or the passenger side door, it wouldn't come on unless you hit a bump. So if we ever hit a pothole and I had friends in my car, the energy level went, went way up once we hit the bump. You, know, you had boys some Men rocking in the Jeep, and you could only hear Motown, but when the bump hit, you could hear Motown Philly, somebody, all right? Y'all are giving me courtesy laughs on that one. Thank you. It also, had a, it also had a windshield wiper nozzle on the back that was turned the opposite way. So when you press the button, instead of the washer fluid going on the back windshield, it would go out, like away from the car. I don't think my parents tested that part before they bought it. But true story, we would have so much fun with that. Because when we would haul baseball equipment or whatever, we'd be like, hey, man, can you grab that out of the back? <laughs> and as soon as they did, you know, we, I'd have people behind me exiting school that I'd press the button and washer fluid would go on their windshield just trying to help somebody out. But this was, this was my first vehicle, and this, this was a blessing, right? If we, we say a blessing is God's purposeful provision and position. This was a blessing in my life. My, my parents bought that vehicle for me. But here's what happens with a blessing. When you are blessed, you have responsibility with that blessing. And and I knew that, they had the parental wisdom talk with me that day when, when I'm so excited to have that red Jeep and talked about the responsibility that comes with driving. And so this is the blessing, this is the responsibility. Each week we have delivered from the scripture that very thing, that there are blessings that come with salvation. Salvation itself is a blessing. But with salvation, with being right before God, there are desirables. There are privileges that come with a right relationship with God. But with those privileges, with those desirables are responsibilities. God just doesn't save us and just turn us loose to live however, and then he'll see us back in heaven. No, God has has given us and equipped us to have responsibility here on this earth to glorify him, be a light in the world and salt in the world, to make a difference for his glory and for the good of man. And as we later make our way to that responsibility part of the message, which is at the end, I want you to keep that tagline in mind that we say every week of of giving God and giving faithfulness an extra mile. And asking yourself that question, what is it that God would have me to do differently in my life? What is it that God would would have us to do better? What would God have us to do more of? What would God have us to try out? What next step of knowledge is needed? What next step of service and generosity and outreach? Have you you come into the gathering before, but you still haven't sang with your heart and mind? Have you been presented with the opportunity to be generous, but, but you've not yet reached that part where you even understand why the church gives and what it goes for? Why do they have Sunday school that they now call groups? Why do they do that? Why do people get together and study the Bible? Have you considered those things? Have you considered why people do those things? Are you asking yourself the question, what is God having me to do next so that my faith will grow deeper and my faithfulness will get an extra mile? Lord, once again, as we make our way to your word, would you please help us to evaluate ourselves by the truth of your word and by the truth that's brought up by your spirit? In Jesus' name. Amen. First Peter chapter 1, verse 21 and 22. The Bible says, Through Christ you have come to trust in God, and you have placed your faith and hope in God because he raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory. Verse 22. You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So now you must show sincere love to other brother, as your brothers and sisters and love each other deeply With all your heart. The scripture teaches that through Jesus we have come to believe in God. Now, about half this message is going to be discipleship one-on-one. And it is our responsibility as a church to not gather up attenders, but to make disciples. That is the biblical responsibility that we have. So understand this when it comes to salvation and being right with God. Through Jesus, We have come to believe in God and be right with God. It is not by creation, it's not by providence, it's not by law that a man knows God. It is Jesus Christ. Again, understand there is no real confidence that you should have when you say that I am right with God if you have not believed upon Jesus, if you have not called upon the name of the Lord to save you, if you've not committed to your life If you've not committed your life to Christ, there is no confidence you should have that you are right with God. It is only, as the scriptures say, through Christ. His name and his alone. You may believe in God. You may believe that you need to be right with God. You may believe that God is even active in life. You may even believe that good works are a part of this whole thing, but the biblical truth is there is no right relationship with our Creator. There is no being where He is in heaven for all eternity if you have not personally called upon the name of the Lord Jesus to be saved. If you have not called upon God to forgive you of your sin, and if you have not committed your life to Him, there is no reason for you to have confidence that you are right with Jesus and right with God. That is the truth. I'm not trying to preach you out of your salvation. I'm trying to make sure it's true. Somebody say amen. God wants everyone to join him in heaven. But as we often say, you must be right with God on his terms. You cannot create what you think it takes to be right with God. You must hear the truth of his revealed word. And God chose Jesus as your ransom. Jesus died on the cross so that you and I could be right with him for all eternity. And Jesus has been revealed to us. And it is only through him that we know God. First Timothy chapter two says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ. That's it. This is why we lift his name, sing his name, pray his name, preach his name, for he is the way for us to know that we are right with God. Now, Once you have called upon the name of the Lord, and once you are saved, and once you have committed your life to Christ, this belief in God needs to be a full confidence belief. Nothing shakes you away from it. You absolutely know that you will receive heaven, not because you deserve it, but because Jesus paid for it. And because of that, you should have a full faith, full hope, full trust in Jesus. A full confidence belief that you are right with God. Now, why should that be full confidence? Why should you have this ever unwavering confidence that you are right with God and you will have eternal life as God has said? Here's why in chapter one, verse 21, the B part of that verse, because he raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory. Y'all, if Jesus didn't raise from the grave, we would conclude likely that he was a good man with good intentions, but he was still in the grave, so death cut him down, and he's no different than any one of us. If Jesus did not raise from the grave, our hope of knowing God, our hope of forgiveness, our hope of eternal life would still be buried with him in the ground. If Jesus did not raise from the grave. But according to the revealed word of God, And according to the Spirit of God working in your heart to know that it's the truth, Jesus did raise from the grave, according to the Bible and according to many eyewitnesses, and he rose from the grave and all the power of God to give me and you an ever-living, unwavering hope that what he says is right, true, and you can stand on it even until death. Hallelujah indeed. Because of this, we know what is to come. We have a source of full confident truth and eternal living eternal life is a living hope let me say that one more time the confidence we have is a living hope the resurrection proves that jesus is deity the resurrection proves that jesus is the difference maker for us as one pastor said if the resurrection is true everything's going to be all right because of the risen Savior, as 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says, we now live with great expectation. We don't walk around all the time with our lip poked out, hoping that things work out. We don't walk around dragging ourselves and going, well, I hope I'm in, I hope I'm not out. No, Jesus rose from the grave to give you full confidence that you'll bust heaven wide open. Full confidence, belief in God, our Savior. And this full confidence is also a desirable It's a benefit that comes from salvation. Now, if you ask people from different religions and different cultures, how do they know that they will make it to heaven? A lot of the responses you're gonna get are things like this. Well, I sure hope that we do. I'm working towards it. It'll be a variation of that. But I'm hoping I can do enough good to outweigh the bad. I'm gonna tell you this personally. I don't wanna stand on my good to get me into heaven because it's not gonna hold up. There's a whole lot more bad than there is good in my life. I'll just share that with you and be transparent so we can all share that conviction together. That is the truth of it. There is no full confidence belief of heaven if not for the pure and perfect son, Jesus Christ, who laid down his life as a lamb to the slaughter on behalf of those who would believe in him. That is the full confidence that we have. That is a blessing of salvation. Now, verse 22 says this. It keeps getting better. Verse 22 says, You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. I don't like it when preachers do this thing, but I'm gonna do this thing. Everybody say cleansed. Okay. I don't know why that's weird for me. I just feel like that's weird for me. You may love that. But I wanted you to say it out loud so that you'll take it with you. Clean before God. Have you thought about your salvation in that way? Have you thought about your righteousness before God as being clean. You are clean before God. Didn't ask you if you felt clean. The scripture says you were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. When you believe the truth about Jesus, when you trust him to forgive you of all of your sins, and when you've called upon him to take you over, you were cleansed before God. Now let's understand the following. There are three tenses of salvation. There are three tenses of salvation. Here's discipleship again. There is past, present, and future. In verse 22 of 1 Peter chapter one, we are dealing with the past tense of salvation. The Bible says you were cleansed. Your your translation may say you were purified. This is what? This is past tense. What does that mean? Like it's happened, y'all. It's already happened. That's it. It is settled. It is the established truth for those who have believed the truth of Jesus Christ. If you have called upon the name of the Lord to be saved, if you have turned from your sin and turned to God, if you now have restraint in your heart and your life, when it comes to things of the world that would tempt you away from God and you have trusted Jesus to be your righteousness, the Bible declares to you today, you have been cleansed. It is settled. Amen. Clean before God. Ephesians chapter two, verse six says, for he raised us from the dead, raised is past tense. He raised us from the dead along with Christ And seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Jesus. See, this was Paul writing to the church at Ephesus. It was him writing then to a living church, and he told them, For we were raised as if it's already happened. We are already in that position of forgiveness. And one day we will be in full realization of that forgiveness and righteousness. From the moment we trust in Christ, from the moment you call upon the name of the Lord in faith and repentance, you are positioned in sanctification. And then you are in the progress of sanctification. But you have been made right with God when you trust in Jesus. Meaning we are set apart from the penalty and the power of sin and set apart by God to service and worship of God. Some of you are worrying today even as you sit before the gospel, maybe every single Sunday, am I really saved? Am I really saved? Because you continue to think back to all the things that you know that you've called on God to forgive you from. And the scripture says here that if you called upon the name of Jesus, it's already settled. You have been cleansed. Personally, the most disgusting I've ever felt in my whole entire life was after playing mud volleyball right here in Athens, Alabama. Alabama. Can anybody attest to that? It's the worst. It's the worst. Like, if, you, if you've, how many of you just, show hands, how many of you've ever played mud volleyball? All right, so hands across the board, right? When you've played mud volleyball, you have no option other than to, to get terribly disgusting by the end of the day. And the time that we played in it, even when I was a teenager, the worst part of the entire day was we kept on winning. Seriously. We kept winning. Like a a few of the girls in in our student ministry went on to play college volleyball. Uh, The rest of us, we used to play after church on Wednesday nights. So, like, this is not our first time, guys. We I remember sitting there in Athens on the bleachers, and we had somebody coming up next round, and there was an older guy like me now that was talking out of his mind, and he was like, We got this youth group next. I'm pretty sure we can take them. And I was like, I'm pretty sure you can't. You know, I was thinking, brother, you don't know what you signed up for. And then at the same time, I keep thinking, why are you doing this? Why do you want to keep winning? You feel terrible. I, even now, as I say this, I can think back to the feeling of the mud and the dirt between my toes and my shoes. It was awful. And then after that, what happens? You, at the end of the day, you get a shower. You get a shower and, and you're in there for like an hour and a half, Right. And then when you get out of the shower, what happens? You start to remember the day and you start to remember how you felt and you feel like you need to be clean again. You may not feel it, but you can remember it and the guilty stains feel like they are still there. Let me tell you what God has settled. The guilty stains of your sin have been removed by the blood of Jesus. It's, you may feel like you need another shower. You may feel like you need to call on the name of the Lord again. You may feel like you need to do all of these things once again, but the truth is, Psalm 32, 5, Finally, I confess all my sins to you and stop trying to hide my guilt. And I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me, and my guilt is gone. Gone. You have been cleansed, a new position. And the cleansing of our life is not a feeling of forgiveness. It is a fact. It's a state of salvation. So I will rise and lift my hands. For by his mercy my life was spared. The highest name has set me free. Listen. Because of Jesus, my heart is clean. Because of Jesus. Sing it. My heart is clean. Take that and look it up this week and be reminded. It has been settled over and above your feelings. Because of Jesus. You are clean before the throne. It has nothing to do with your works. It has everything to do with what he's worked for you. So give him praise, man. And live for the Lord that makes you clean. Amen. So what about when a Christian sins now? Let's answer that question. What about when, what about when a Christian sins last night, this morning? Me and my wife had a knockdown drag out before we got here. We didn't, personally. I just We're good. Um, There's Brittany, there you are. But you know, we're a real family just like any of you. We have weekends just like any of you. And so what happens when when you turn loose of the wheel? What happens when we know we're filled with the Spirit of God, but we walk with the world? Because we're still in the world, And there are times when we walk in our our flesh and not in the Spirit of God. There are times when we make bad decisions. There are times when we spout off at the mouth and we shouldn't have and we wish we had it back. There's times when we have terrible thoughts that we know we shouldn't allow to keep going in our mind. There's times when we act on those thoughts. And there, after that, when a Christian sins, there will be surely and certainly conviction of that sin. We will realize that the Holy Spirit is working in us to cause that uneasiness feel in our heart and mind because we have done wrong and we have asked God to forgive us of that wrong. And it's unsettling. And that experience that we feel is called conviction and thank God for it. Make no mistake. If you feel dirty, when you sin, it is God's spirit. Also make no mistake. If you don't, something needs to be reviewed. Hear me now. If you don't, something needs to be reviewed. If your life has sin unrestrained and it keeps going on and on, you may tell yourself that you've got salvation, but you at least need to walk back over what it means. Amen? So what happens when a Christian sins? Let's begin to answer that question with Galatians 6-7. We cannot mock the justice of God, the Bible says. You cannot mock the justice of God. We will reap what we sow. We will harvest what we plant. You will reap what you sow. Write this down. It'll be on the screen. Take a note. Seeds of sin reap crops of consequence. Seeds of sin reap crops of consequence. And those crops go by the name in general of suffering and separation. Tony Evans says wherever there is sin, a death occurs. Meaning that if you remain in sin apart from Christ, you will be in a state not of sanctification but of death before God but if you are in Christ and you sin there will also be a death in the fact that there will be separation from God not from relationship with God but from the fellowship of God it's the same way in your families for those of you that did fight this morning before you came to church (laughs) there's not enough people laughing on that next sermon series is marriage all right (laughs) just kidding or maybe not but let's just say you did have that fight before you came to church. You know that before you go back into that house and things go back to normal, you're gonna to have to have a come to Jesus meeting, as we call it. There needs to be a, a conversation with confession and forsaking and an asking of forgiveness. That needs to happen. That is a restoration of fellowship. So when a Christian sins, you don't lose your position of clean, but you are holding up progress. And so there, there must be that confession and forsaking. When a Christian sins, we must agree with God's word. That's what confession is. We agree with what God's word says. We agree with the conviction of our heart that we are not right before God. And, and this is what we will experience until we confess that to the Lord. 1 John chapter 1, verse nine. We quote this one a lot. 1 John chapter 1, verse nine. If we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Now, did you notice the difference of the words there? If we confess our sins, S-I-N-S. S-I-N would mean it is the position of sin that you are in until Christ. But this says S-I-N-S. If we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse. What is that? That is present sanctification. That is present tense salvation, to cleanse us from all wickedness. Sins. This is not the condition of your nature. This is the choices of our nature. And thank God he allows confession. Amen. You don't have, and by the way, you don't have to go through any priest. You don't have to go through me. You don't have to go through anybody else to talk to God about your agreement with him that you have wronged. Because of the blood of Jesus, you can go straight to the throne in confidence. That's what happens because Jesus is our high priest. So you go straight to the Father and you confess and forsake and talk it over with the Lord who has paid the penalty for your sin and given you the Spirit of God to keep you from it. But this is not just about asking God's forgiveness over and over and over and over and over over again. Hear this. While we certainly should go go to God over and over and over again, The confession and forsaking is an active pursuit of the holiness of God. It's just not a response to what we should do when the Spirit of God convicts us. It's a prompting by God's Spirit to pursue the holiness of God on the front end. Someone once said this, the way to heaven is to turn right and then go straight on. It's a continual pursuit of the holiness of God. Second Corinthians chapter seven, verse one puts it this way. It says, because we have these promises, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves. That's present tense. Because we have these promises, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit. And let us work toward complete holiness because we fear God. This is really spoken about idols. What what idols are in your life or mess with your spirituality that you need to quit asking God to forgive you of when you bow down to them? You need to work on the front end to get rid of them. That, that is the pursuit of God. That is also what a, a Christian does knowing that we still have a remaining nature of sin, that we in the spirit of God work towards the holiness of God. And the scripture there, when it says, let us cleanse ourselves, that's real time instruction to actively pursue God, to actively purify our life so that we will be fit for worship and service. We said this before, y'all, I'm telling you, when if you've had a Saturday of sin and you need a Sunday morning morning of confession, you just come right on in here. Amen. That's, that's part of why we're here is so that we are responding to God's spirit as it prompts us and convicts us of our sin. Can I also tell you what's good? What's good is, is glorifying God on Saturday and coming up in here and worshiping him on Sunday. That's also good. Man, it gets real good. When you come in here and during the songs, you are not confessing your downfalls, but you are praising him for the upright living that has taken place in your life because of his lordship and your submission because we have these promises dear friends let us cleanse ourselves when you are in christ sin is not the boss of you any longer do you hear that so don't react to sin by always asking for forgiveness put sin in its place and seek god's character in our life you don't lose your position when you sin but you're holding up progress Sanctification is progressive. The first tense was past, second tense, present and progressive. A Christian, when we sin, puts us out of position. Now, for the responsibility that comes with blessing, this is the responsibility part that we have led to in the beginning. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22 says, You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth, so now you must show sincere love to each other, as brothers and sisters, love each other deeply with all your heart. I believe we taught this last week. When you read the Bible and you are wanting to understand it, the first thing to do is trust that God's spirit is working in you to give you a desire and the power to do what pleases him. The role of the Holy Spirit in your life is to guide you into all truth. So don't doubt God when you read the Bible, God's spirit wants to make it plain in your life. That's the first thing. There are practical things to do to help you understand what God's Spirit is saying to your heart. Two questions you can ask are this. When you open up the Bible and you begin to read it on your own, what does this teach me about God? And what does this teach me about people? Ask those two questions every time you read it. Now, last week we added a third question. Do you remember what it is? Is there a command to obey? Is there a command to obey? If we read the scripture that we just read, is there a command to obey? You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth, so now you must Show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart. Love for people is not a suggestion. It is a commandment. Upon salvation, we become children of God. And when we become children of God, we become part of the family of God. We become members of a family who has a father and brothers and sisters. I remember those those folks growing up and those preachers that would stand in front of us and every other word was brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters. And I was like, are we related? <laughs> we are related. As the scripture teaches, this command is, is that, that is given in the context of family. We become children of God, the Bible says. Brethren is all throughout the scripture. If you got the New King James or King James, brothers and brothers and sisters in the other versions. And this command that God is giving to us as we have siblings in the faith is not one that he has given to us by just a command. He has given to us by his power of the Holy Spirit. Philippians chapter 2, 13 says, God's spirit is working on the inside of us, giving us the desire and the power to do what pleases him. So if you are to think to yourself, I just can't love those folks, then you are telling God it cannot be done when he's given you the engine inside of you to get it done. God's Spirit is working on the inside of you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. God's Spirit is the capacity to do things that we cannot normally do in and of ourselves. But because God's love and mercy and spirit and forgiveness and new position is in us, we now are able to love people that before we would probably never give it a thought. So when you get saved, one of the things that changes in our life is love for people in general, but especially in the household of faith, especially in the local church. In fact, 1 John chapter 3, verse 14 says this, Now, I'll take this in. The Bible says, love for our brothers and sisters proves we have passed from death to life, but a person who has no love is still dead. You can't love the person over here? You can't love the person over here? I'm just reading you what it says evidence that you can is evidence of God's spirit passing you from death to life. But a person who has no love is still dead. Now I would encourage you before you start to work all that out and justify and all this, just know that the sins that made you wrong before God, God chose to love you anyway. It'll help you to forgive, move forward. Now I don't know if y'all have noticed this in, in our own local church. In the universal church for certain, in our own local church for certain, there's a lot of different people in it. There are a lot of different people in the church, in the universal church, in the local church, and there are those that you have much in common with. You're probably sitting beside them right now. But there are also people that have no clue what you're talking about when you make certain references. You may make local references or you may have a certain sense of humor. They don't laugh because they don't think it's funny because they don't get it. Like this is a part of the church. We see people and pass by each other every morning. We say good morning. We say it's good to see you. Do we know their name? We say it's, it's good to see y'all. We're glad to be in the house of the Lord. Do we know what's going on in their life? Again, a lot of different people in it. In my short time in this position in the local church, I've discovered that there are different preferences in this church according to Christmas lights, paint colors, and Bible translations. (laughs) That's a thing. There's differences. doesn't mean that they're wrong. It's just differences. Y'all, in our church, we have people from Clements, and we have people from California. We have people from Gadsden, and we have people from Guatemala. We've got people in here from Athens and people from Arkansas. Like there are different people from different walks of life. And you may not believe this, but in here today, we also have people who differ when it comes to politics. And there are even people in here that don't like football. (laughs) Serious business. (laughs) Somebody gave an amen to that. That is bold, brother. That is bold. But listen, while we have all of these differences across the sanctuary and in all the churches around the world, we have been ransomed and cleaned and we trust in God for our living and our dying. And that's enough for fellowship. It's enough for brothers and sisters. So the scripture calls on us there in the Bible. You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. And the scripture calls for sincere love, unfeigned love, meaning it's not a pretending kind of love. Oh my goodness. Yes, I saw your haircut. I love it. No, I don't. That's not sincere. It's been so good to talk to you today. Yes, I'll be definitely praying for you. Lord, have mercy they talk so long, right? (laughs) Not that I've ever done these things. But it's a reminder to all of us that this love the Bible teaches comes from a pure heart. Remember? This love for people really wants to help. It really wants to help whether or not you get something in return. This love for people reaches out to people not considering what they could do for us, not considering how it would benefit us to be in a relationship with that person. This love for people doesn't manipulate to get what you want. Now, while we are in relationships, it doesn't take away from our responsibility to be self-aware. Some of us could be more lovable if we were more self-aware. That's truth. But the Christian is to love others without hypocrisy. I remember once in high school after a a football game, (laughs) a football game, I remember once in high school, we went to a local restaurant, a local establishment. And there was about 15 of us in high school that went there together and it was brand new and it had just opened in our community. So we were all kind of excited about that and thought this would be awesome to check out on a Friday night after the ball game. So we all went in, we got pizzas. Because there was 15 of us, the check was probably sizable that we all split and paid for. But the owner came up to our table and said, hey guys, glad y'all here, but don't make this thing your hangout, okay? So we were like, okay. It closed in about a month. Is that not straight up hypocrisy? This is a restaurant. We're open for business. We want you to come in. We want you to pay us money for the food that we provide. But don't come back. The people on the outside and some of the visitors here today expect for this place to have the love of God in it. When we do not extend that love and grace and mercy and kindness and charity to each other, it's hypocrisy. I thought that was what it's supposed to be like. I ran into a young lady yesterday, said that she used to attend this church, but she doesn't anymore. And the reason why was because of that. Now there's all kinds of questions that I could have asked, all kinds of things that we could have gotten into. Like, why do you feel this way? And should you have extended grace and mercy to them? And, but what I left with was the truth of what we're looking at today. When the church doesn't love, and when the church doesn't go back and ask for forgiveness, when the church doesn't try to make things right, when the church doesn't overlook faults and wrongs, when the church doesn't selflessly serve, we are hypocrites. I might also add, you can't really love your church family when you don't know them. You've got to take the time to get to know each other. For those of you that grew up in a very small church, maybe you're coming into this church and going, it's just so big. I don't know if we can, I don't know if we can get up with that church. The more you get to know each other, the smaller it gets. You cannot practice Christian kindness and Christian love inside the local church if you are actually not a part of one. The one that the thing that I would encourage you today, if you are considering you want your family to be a part of a church, but we got to get plugged in, here's one way to get plugged in. Start getting to know people and meeting their needs. Bingo. You're in. Amen? Be a part of a group, be a part of a ministry, sign up to serve, sign up to sing, be a part of the movement of the body. Again, the best way to love people is to meet people at the point of their need. Verse 22, the last half of this, and we're done. The Bible says, love each other deeply with all your heart. Every word in the Bible has a purpose. Love each other deeply with all your heart. Now your Bibles may say fervently, and refers to, this is what the the meaning of that word deeply or fervently means. It refers to an athlete straining every muscle. That's the word picture given to that word fervently or deeply. Now, this really does help us to understand. Love each other like you are straining when you are working out. That gives a really great picture of it, doesn't it? This is too much information, but my right hamstring has been hurting since last church softball season, 365 days, hurting every single one of them. Why do we do it? When in church softball at the beginning of the game, when it's 0-0 and you are, there's no score and it's early on in the innings, you hit a line drive to center, you coast into first base. It's good for you. It's comfortable. It's a part of it. You love it, you enjoy it. Now, towards the end of the game, when you're tired and the score is sometimes tighter, the game seems to mean more now, and then the same line drive, you hit into the gap, you begin to run to first base, and now team members are shouting at you, go, go, go. You feel it in your heart, like I've got to take this single and make it a double. And then you get to second, and somebody's kicked it around three times, you're going, I'm going three, I'm going three. Now what was comfortable and good for you is now uncomfortable and absolutely bad. (laughs) Terrible. So why in the world do we do it? Because we love it and we're a part of it and we care. That's why we do it. Loving your friends and family, for the most part in general, is like coasting to first base. I love the ones I love. But the people you don't, you can either stay in the game or quit. Because the scripture is presenting to you the idea of an athlete who is breaking himself down so that love may get stronger. An athlete that is is grimacing. It's hurting him, but it's good for the game. It's good for the team. You're in it and you care. A very similar word, and listen to this as we finish. A very similar word to fervently is also used when Jesus is praying before his arrest in the garden. Luke chapter 22, verse 44 says, he prayed more fervently and he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. He was journeying to the cross and it was not easy, but he stayed in it because he cared for you. To the point of sweat falling off of his head like great drops of blood to the ground. Loving people, even those in the household of faith. Sometimes the ones that you're friends with here, sometimes it's easy, but other times it's blood, sweat, and tears. It's an approach of toughness to kindness and charity. Why? Because we have been ransomed, By God, He has sent His Son to die for us. We belong to Him. We are being changed to be like Him, and we are sanctified in progression towards perfection. So, knowing we are to love each other with all our heart means that we strain every muscle. So, what should we do with that? We need to get stronger. You gotta get stronger. You've got to put your spiritual muscle, muscles into workout before the Lord and practice the spiritual disciplines and remember what God's word about says about that person across from you that you disagree with. I mean, how many family members in here today can attest to the fact that love is something you've got to work at. You've got to get after it in order for it to stay together and intact. Listen, please don't take that stuff personal unless it's personal, and we're not trying to preach towards your past. We're trying to preach towards your future. Does everybody understand that? But here's what I can tell you: My parents uh, last week celebrated 50 years of marriage together, and my sister and me thanked my mom and daddy. You know why? Because we also we also are in real families, and we know it takes work to stick it out. It's tough. But man, as kids, we sure are thankful. Again. Not preaching towards the past, we're preaching towards the future. So right now, forward, give those you influence something to look at of faithfulness and commitment to Christ that you didn't have before, but you will now and moving forward. As one pastor said, Christian love is not a feeling, it's a matter of the will. Some of us simply bow out, some of us withdraw, some of us leave and love is difficult. But as we grow in maturity in our faith, We can stick it out because of our example of Jesus who had sweat falling off his brow like great drops of blood to the ground as he was going to the cross for us. Agape love that the Bible is teaching today, agape love is not void of emotion, but it's not based on it. Agape love is based on a reasoned out decision to love. That's the word there in the scripture. Again, take this as preaching if you want to, Take it as teaching for where we need to go. That's who we were before. That's who we're not anymore. Now we're moving forward in maturity, getting more stronger in these spiritual muscles so that we would love like we're supposed to. Jesus told us in John 13, 34, just as I have loved you, you should love each other. What does that look like? It looks like selflessness. It looks like sacrifice. It looks like quality time. It looks like taking care of. It looks like defending. It looks like correcting, forgiveness, endurance. It looks like long-suffering. All of these things. Lord, I entrust your word to you to, to us. God, every single one of us today has experienced conviction, starting with me. God, your word, even as I stand and preach, your word has already convicted me of something in my life that I need to get straight. And I need to love better according to your standard. Lord, we have all blown it. We are broken people. So we want to just start and finish by thanking you for the position we have Of right standing and being clean before God, we stand on that. No matter what we feel, no matter what our feelings tell us, or no matter what anybody else tells us, we thank you, Lord, for the position that we have. But God, we also have responsibility from this place forward. We have responsibility to reflect your character and the salvation that we claim. Today, oh God, I pray for each of us as we are about to stand and sing and for some of us, Lord, who are just gonna close our eyes and reflect and for those of us that are being urged by your spirit to make a decision, God, that we would just be right and real in this moment. God, that if we need to walk this aisle and pray, if we need to talk with someone, if we need to talk with someone after, God, if we need to take next steps to give faithfulness an extra mile to join the church, God, if we need to be baptized, if we need to be saved today, O oh Lord, may we not suppress what your spirit is bringing up in our heart and mind. Oh Lord, thank you, God, for your grace, for your mercy, for your sacrifice. And thank you for your spirit that is giving us the power to do what pleases you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand to your feet? Would you know this altar is open? This, this altar is not for perfect people. It's for broken people, and that'd be all of us. Amen? So I want to invite you. There's nothing that says that you have to pray at the altar, but there's something special about getting on your knees before the Lord. And, and maybe in your place the position where you are, you want to make that an altar yourself. Go ahead and close your eyes and bow your head. And bow, but even before we start singing, go ahead and talk to the Lord. If you need to join the church be baptized, you need to talk to somebody here today. That's why we're here. If you need to be saved, come and just say those five words. I need to be saved. We can help you from there. Amen. Let's worship and respond together.